We've got a little treat for you guys. We're going to have the kids come down, and they have an Easter bookmark that they want to hand out to everybody. So we'll see how shy they are. They, yeah, come on. If by happen chance you get skipped, we'll have them outside on the uh, counter as you head out. Um, I think that may happen. You know, we really appreciate our kids. We appreciate their hearts. We appreciate their willingness to, to try things. I, I don't know that if, if uh, I put the call out there, if I'd get any of you to come up here and ring bells for <laughs> on a Sunday morning. Well, a couple of you would. I know that. But it's... All right, kids, you guys are going to head out and head to Children's Church, and you guys have a great time. For those of you who are visiting with us, man, this, this year has been fun. We have been looking at what it means to be reborn, renewed, to be revitalized and revived. We've looked at what it means to have the power of God manifest in our lives and to feel his spirit coursing through us in a way that not only affects change within us, but affects change in those who are around us. And we spent the prior month talking about exactly what faith is. That faith, it is so much more than belief. It is actually, faith itself is the very relationship covenant that we make with God. It is the growing closer to Him, becoming more intimate with Him, merging with Him as one and one. And then this month we've been looking, and specifically looking, at the supplements to that faith. Last week, uh, two weeks ago we talked about virtue, and last week we talked about knowledge. And now we're going to go to 1 Peter, and we're going to read again what the next supplements are. So we'll put that up on the screen, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 11. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever possesses these qualities, or for whoever lacks these qualities, is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
Man, if there is a promise that we, if we increase in these qualities, that we will never fall, then these qualities are obviously of tremendous importance because I get tired of falling. Because with falling comes picking yourself back up, which is the most unpleasant part of falling. What we're looking at today, having looked at virtue and looked at knowledge, we're actually going to look at two of these together. We're going to look at self-control, and we're going to look at stead fastness. And what we're going to notice is, I, I, I don't think it could have happened on a better week. I think the Easter weekend, this concept of self-control and steadfastness connects into who Jesus is, connects into that last week probably better than anything else we could probably talk about. We're going to look at the example of Jesus' life in that last week to see the model of self-control and steadfastness that we are supposed to be following. You see, once Jesus has placed this faith inside of us, because faith is not something that originates in us, it originates in him. When it is in us, we add to that a desire to be righteous, the virtue, the valor. We want to be righteous. We want to do what's right. We add to that the knowledge of what right is so that we may live according to it. But then when you and I make a decision, and anyone who's been a Christian longer than a few days, you know what I'm talking about when I say this. The moment you want to get serious about your faith is the moment moment, things seem to be falling apart. This morning, I don't, I don't know. It seems to me personally that this year as we have gotten serious, and I mean, I mean really focusing on what it means to have a real, powerful, and sincere faith in Christ, seems like a lot of things have been hitting me. Illnesses, financial loss. Maybe you have also seen in your life where there are suddenly hardships that have come up. You see, when you are getting close to God, when you have that desire, that is the one thing Satan does not want. Satan is not against the church, people. He is not against Christians. He's against effective Christians. In fact, he loves Christians that do nothing and are powerless and ineffective and empty. He loves those Christians. He wants them to thrive. He wants to destroy the passion and drive to be like Jesus. So then, when we get serious, he comes against us. And the next thing Peter tells us is, when you get serious, you better be ready to exercise some self-control. And you better be ready to persevere. Because that enemy does not, does not want you attaining that goal. In James chapter 1, verse 12, James writes this. He says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Isn't that exactly the Easter story? That Jesus exercised self-control and steadfastness when the entirety of the world was crashing down on him, when the weight of your sin and mine was upon his shoulder, he maintained the course all the way to death. 
And as James says, the reward for perseverance is a crown of life. And so three days after Christ went into that tomb, that reward was given. He was raised. The angels came and tore away the cover upon the tomb. The Holy Spirit entered into Christ and brought him back to life. And for 40 days he was seen. And then he ascended. You see, you and I, I think, in order to understand the Easter story, we have to understand the concepts of self-control and steadfastness. So we're going to do what Paul tells us. Paul says this to you, to me, in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 5. He says this, May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. That's the Easter story. That's the resurrection story. It's about the love of God for you. And it is about the unswaying, unrelenting focus Christ had on what God wanted him to do. And so, as Paul instructs us, we are going to look at that today. But now as we begin, I want to throw a third word in, a third word. And actually, when you have self-control and you have steadfastness, this other word actually kind of encompasses both of them. And that word is this, overcome. When we talk about self-control and steadfastness, we are talking about overcoming. Overcoming what? Well, self-control is overcoming this flesh. That's what self-control is, isn't it? The, the inevitability and the reality is that we are born into this body, and this body has desires that are actually contrary to, to what is actually good for us, right? If you look at the very nature of our desires and the way they manifest themselves in us, they manifest themselves in ways that actually injure and hurt us. I am not a person who stands up here who was born hungering for broccoli. I didn't do it. No. No, when my mom was putting it in my mouth, when I was putting it in my kid's mouth, when I was putting up that mashed pea nonsense that you feed your kids, they'd spit it out. In fact, they told us, I remember, I remember being told by parents, they said, they said, you do not give your kids any sugar for nearly like, like, like the first year. The, their their birth, first birthday cake should be the first time that they taste any sugar because once they get the taste of sugar, that's all they're going to want. And they won't eat the rotten stuff, basically. And all you have to do is look around our country. I mean, look, just look around the room. Our desire to eat does not serve us necessarily very well. No, in fact, we find that it is actually all of our desires have been twisted into something perverse. Meaning, perverse meaning something other than what it was intended to be. Our desire for love has been perverted. Our desire for food has been perverted. Our desire for importance and influence, it's been perverted. Our desire to take care of those that we love has been perverted. All of these things have been changed from something that God made good into something that is bad. And now we, we, we are in this body and we deal with this and it's constant. There's a reason by now 
I would imagine, I'm, I'm actually going to go ahead and throw it out there. I'm going to guess that every one of you have broken the resolutions that you made three months ago. You have not yet? You didn't make any. Smart man. Smart man. No goals in life. Fantastic. You can't be disappointed when you don't try anything. <laughs> the reality is, why do we set resolutions? We set resolutions because you and I, we know that there are things that we're supposed to do that we are not doing. We know that we are supposed to be different than what we are. At the very core of our being, we recognize this. We know it's true. But this flesh, this body, it works against us, and we, we can't keep those resolutions for a full year. I have never done it. You're smart, man. Just give up. <laughs> what are we doing? We are called through the power of Jesus to overcome this flesh. That's what self-control is. To put this body and its desires and its way of thinking into line with what God created it to be. And we see that. But steadfastness is also has to do with overcoming. Steadfastness is not being overcome by this world. Something is going to control you. The scriptures tell us that a man is the servant of whatever has overcome him. Whatever has overcome him is his master. It's his Lord. So we are either overcoming ourselves, which is self-control, or that which is without is seeking to control us. Steadfastness is refusing the influence of that around us, not allowing our circumstances, not allowing our situations to change who we are, and self-control is determining for ourselves who we are and what we're going to be about, who our master is. Jesus demonstrates both of these. Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 12, verse 21. He, he just sums it up. He says, do not be overcome by evil. Instead, overcome evil with good. If you could sum up the Easter story, those would be the words. Do not be overcome by evil. Remain steadfast and do not overcome evil with good. You control your actions. Don't let the actions of others control you. So we're going to read. I'm going to read, and, and, and you're going to notice it's going to jump between the scriptures, but we're going to read the story of that last day. We're going to start in Matthew 27, verse 11. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, you have said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, do you not, how, do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave him no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him, and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail the king of the Jews, and they struck him with their hands. So Pilate went out again and said to the crowd, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. 
Pilate said to them, Behold the man. And when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to him, Take him yourselves and crucify him. I find no guilt in him. But the Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the son of God. Now when Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He went into his headquarters again, and he said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have the authority to release you and authority to crucify you? And Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you is guilty of the greater sin. Now from then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you're not a friend of Caesar's. Whoever makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So Pilate, when he heard these words, he brought out Jesus and he sat down on the judgment seat at the place called the stone pavement. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, Behold your king. And they cried out, Away with him. Away with him. Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? And the chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. A third time, Pilate said to him, why, what evil has he done? I find no guilt in him deserving death. I'll therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified. And their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided, that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder for whom they asked. But he delivered Jesus over to their will. They crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we might believe in him. And even those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. Man, in this story, do do, do you see the self-control that Jesus had? Do you see it? He's got a lot more self-control than I think any one of us in the same situation would probably have. Here he is. He is he's insulted. He is accused. And he is lied about. But he doesn't defend himself. He doesn't correct the record. He doesn't even answer the charges. Most of us, if anyone says anything bad about us, we've got to chase that person down and every person that that person talked to in order to try to, to, try to make the, set the record straight so nobody thinks poorly about us, no one thinks incorrectly about us. We are so desperate. We want to control that situation. Jesus doesn't even answer. Even to the point where Pilate goes, I can have you killed. And Jesus goes, no, can't. He is struck. He is beaten. He's flogged. The skin on his back is hanging off like ribbons, and he has this robe that is on him, but he doesn't ever try to escape. 
He's corralled. He's heavy laden with a cross beam. And he has marched to his own place of execution. And he doesn't refuse to take the cross. He's nailed, lifted, humiliated, and the onlookers come by and they are mocking him and making fun of him. Oh, look at look at all oh, the Son of God. Look at this guy. What how powerful and amazing is he? He's on a cross nailed. If he's really the Son of God, why doesn't he come off? Then we'll believe in him. Those people are lucky that wasn't me. I'd have come off that cross. I'd have called the legion of angels, and we'd have had a bloodbath. I'm not, and, and you know what? Most of you would too. We all would. We wouldn't put up with that, and that's what we think in our head. I wouldn't, wouldn't put up with that. Our egos, our pride gets in there. We allow the words of others to influence us instead of determining for ourselves who we are going to be. No, we'd step down off of that cross. I'd be, do, I'd be doing crazy hand motions, cutting people up. It'd just be nuts. Jesus doesn't do that. You see, Jesus was in control of his actions. In fact, when Pilate says, you know, I, could have you, I, I can have you killed, he goes, no. Nah. That's in God's hands. That's in my Father's hands. And if he doesn't want you to, he won't. And if he wants you to, you will. Man. He doesn't plead. He doesn't try to make his case. He doesn't argue. The only person deciding what is going to happen in Jesus is the Father and He. They're the only ones involved. You know, we lock our doors at night, right? I mean, most of us do. Most of us probably remember a time when we, when we didn't, and maybe you still don't. I, but it's funny. It was funny. You tell someone that, hey, I, you know, I still leave my doors unlocked. And they look at you like you're nuts. You know, like, how, how, how can you? Why would you ever? Where, why would you ever do that? It would be your fault. I mean, so, someone could just walk in and kill your family, and they'd be dead, and it would be your fault. I want you to stop for a second, because, because this is one of Satan's ways of trying to get us to try to control the environment and the situations we're in. Here's the reality. If I leave my door open, if I, if, I, if I left my door wide open when I went to bed and all of my kids and I woke up and there's someone there killing all of us and we all die, do you know what? It is still 100% not my fault. Do you know why? I didn't kill anybody. Open door, not open door. I didn't kill anybody. It's not my fault. I'm not saying you got to be is it my fault? <laughs> Blink one for yes, twice for no. All right, well, we'll sort that out later. I'm not saying we don't be intelligent, but what I'm saying is 
it's an illusion to think that we actually have as much control as we think we do. If someone wants to hurt us, they're going to hurt us. Jesus is looking at this situation, and he doesn't do any of the things that we try to do. He doesn't try to control Pilate. He doesn't try to control the chief priest. He doesn't con- try to control the crowd. He doesn't argue with them, try to convince them. He just doesn't, he, he doesn't even bother with it. He is focused on what he, who he is, what it is he has to do. And let's be honest. Controlling ourselves, if we allowed ourselves to do it, would take up pretty much all of our effort. There wouldn't be time for controlling anyone else. So in 1 Peter 2, 21 to 24, Peter says this. He says, for to, you, for, uh, <clears throat> for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sin in his body on a tree that we might die and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Jesus did not repay evil with evil, but overcame evil with good. And if he had not done that, we wouldn't be here in this place praising his name today. We would be dead. We are here. Because he took the pain, the suffering, and the insults, and he bore them in his body on the cross so that you wouldn't have to. And then he turns around and he tells us, I'm I'm not going to mince words because, seriously, this is is really a part of the Easter story is that we are called to that. God isn't looking and saying, he's saying we're called to suffering. What he's not saying is, you know what, become a Christian and then you're going to really get it. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, you know what, we as human beings, because of the world we've created, this world is going to cause suffering and the very nature of sin. Let me, listen, the very nature of sin is that sin is a disease and a virus that passes from one person to another. Those of you who are here, I say this all the time and I apologize for doing it again. But when someone hits you, what do you want to do? Hit them back. When someone yells at you, what do you want to do? You want to yell back. When someone insults you, you want to insult them back. You didn't want to insult them a second ago. They insult you. Now you want to insult. Tell me that sin isn't a disease that spreads. See, Jesus recognized that only self-control stops the disease. Sin, when people sin against you, when they hurt you, when the enemy comes against you and begins to put trials in your life, things that you weren't expecting, difficulties in your life, he wants you to internalize those. He wants those pains to fester so that you then turn and inflict pain on others around you. We've all, we all were kids. And I can remember times dad came home and mom would come in and say, dad's in a bad mood, watch your step. Why? Why? Well, dad had a bad day at work. Which means what? 
if I cross his path, he's going to give me a bad day. The nature of sin. So Jesus says he's suffering the absolute worst that people have to offer. He won't pass it on. See, that's what we're supposed to be. Self-control is about being a people called by God to recognize whether we are Christian, whether we're not Christian, we are going to suffer. There are going to be difficulties. What makes a Christian a Christian as opposed to someone who is not is the fact that we decide even if we suffer and hurt, even if things happen to us that we don't want to happen, we will not be a part of the problem. It stops with us. You get angry, you come and yell at me. My goal as a Christian is that I'm the last person in that chain of anger. I'm the last one. It doesn't go through me. And I'll take it. Because that is what he did. Church, I want you to understand that really... Part of, part of becoming strong in faith is realizing that you can put your trust completely in Jesus. You can weather and face anything that comes your way. You can, you can take the weight and keep moving forward. He gives you the strength to carry the burdens, not to pass them on. We need to have this kind of self-control. But we also see in this example of Jesus this, is that steadfastness is truly not being overcome by the world. As they're mocking him, they don't, they don't, we, we, we use, usually use this concept of steadfastness, uh, modern word would be we talk about peer pressure and standing up or standing against peer pressure, not allowing the opinions of others to sway us or move us or to change our behavior. By the very nature as human beings, we are, we are not steadfast people. We, we allow the influence of others to change us. Now, maybe you're one of those, those stubborn people, and you think, you know what, preacher, that isn't true, because if someone tells me I can't do something, I'm going to do it and show them. Okay. Stop and think about what you just said, because if I tell you you can't, and that makes you have to do it, Who's in control? See, if the opinions of others in any way affects us, if what they say changes us, then we are not in control of ourselves. Jesus in this moment, I mean, they are insulting him. I mean, they, the chief priests, and they are trying to provoke him, and he won't be provoked. But honestly, in this story, let's look. I mean, we want to talk about steadfastness. Let's look at Pilate because he was horrible. Pilate is sitting here, and he has this this Messiah who's brought into him, this king of the Jews. He doesn't want to deal with this nonsense. This is a headache. These, These stubborn people have brought me this nobody, and they want me to kill him. So what does Pilate do? He goes, I don't even want to mess with this. Sends him off to Herod. Herod looks at him. Jesus won't talk to Herod. Herod goes, I don't want this nonsense. Sends it back to Pilate. Pilate gets it, and he goes, he goes I don't, what, what is this about? I, I don't find anything wrong with him. They're like, we don't care. He claims that he's, going to, he's the son of God, and he's a king, and, and, and you know what? We're going to turn you into Caesar as a, as a treasonous traitor if you uh, don't uh, execute him. 
Pilate's getting a message from his wife at the same time. Oh, you, sh- you shouldn't have anything to do with this, uh, this, G- this character. Just uh, get rid of him. Pilate multiple times keeps coming back to the chief priest of the people saying, there, there's nothing guilty about this guy. Why, why am I supposed to kill him? Twice he says, let me beat him to a pulp and then let him go. At least let me let him go. And they keep saying no over and over and over again. Pilate says he's in a, he says he's innocent. He's done nothing wrong. I, I'm not going to kill him. But then we read in that passage, their shouts prevailed. And eventually the pressure of those people caused him, and oh, he thought it was a great symbolism. Fine, I'll wash my hands of this. I have nothing to do with this. But I order him to be killed. I mean, that's bizarre, but that's what he did. Pilate buckled. Here he is, this leader, supposed to be this powerful man, and he's got no, no self-control. He is completely controlled by the people. If he had been a man, he would have stood there and said, I find nothing wrong with this man, but he didn't. In fact, it is our desire to please those around us that actually gets in the way of our relationship with God more so than anything. In John chapter 12, verses 42 to 43, it says, Nevertheless, many, even of the authority, so some of these chief priests, many of even the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Someone is pleased with your life right now. Someone is. Either Christ is pleased with it or the enemy is pleased with it. Either Christ is pleased with it or the world is happy. Jesus tells us the world will hate you because it hated me. It's one or the other which we choose. So Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 5.9. He says, so whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. Because Jesus controlled himself, did not behave the way we would have. Because as everyone around him hated him, insulted him, and mocked him, he controlled himself. He withstood their insults, he withstood their pressure. He withstood the agony.
the words of James were true. The one who remains steadfast will receive the crown of life. Easter, the resurrection, happened because Christ did not deviate from the will of God for his life. He did not exert his own will. I mean, when he was in the garden, he sat there and he said, he said, Father, Abba, Father, Daddy, please take this cup from me. But not as I will, but as you will. He laid everything on the table because he was fully submitted because he overcame the flesh that he was in. And you need to understand, we are told in the Scriptures that he suffered and faced every temptation that every one of us have ever faced. There is not anything that you have been tempted with. I don't care how, how perverse or no matter what it is in your head, there's nothing that you have ever faced that he has not faced and overcome because he overcame the flesh, because the enemy was not able to overcome him. When he went into the grave, it was an unjust death and the Father would not allow it. He raised him from the dead and he becomes the overcomer of the world. Here's what he says in John 16, I have said these things to you that you might have peace. I want to start this again. He's, church, he's talking to us. Look, there are going to be tribulations. There are going to be hardships. But this is, this, is the Easter, this is the Easter message. I have said these things to you that you may have peace in this world. You will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Let me encourage you with this because I think this is what he wants you to hear. When people are rude, mean, hateful, hurtful, And you, I mean, we see that if someone strikes us on the cheek, we're supposed to turn it in the other, right? If they make us go one mile, we're supposed to go with them too. We're not supposed to repay evil with evil. Sometimes, even as Christians, we can get in our mind. We can get it in, into our mindset that, that, that the world is winning. I ask you, do you, do you, do you, do you wonder? I, I know, well, I don't wonder. I know, I know Christ had a moment where he wondered. Because he looks up into heaven and he cries, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? To you, I want to ask this question, have you ever felt that way? At any time. Have you faced something? Are you facing something now where you cry out the same? You're going, God, where are you? Why are you allowing this to happen to me? Why am I supposed to put up with, with these things? 
Why should this be allowed to happen to me? Why am I facing this? Hear Jesus' words. When you face tribulation in this world, remember, I have overcome it. And what he means by that is, what you face now is all flipped on its head on the other side. Because he took the brunt of the world and did not fight back. He inherited the world. He overcame it. The promise is for you, for your children, for all of those who are still far off, that if you are willing to surrender yourself to Jesus Christ this moment, there is a victory that you are given. It's it's an amazing freedom the moment you realize when someone is angry and in your face and being rude this is what it means to overcome there's a point where you actually come to realize this person isn't angry at me they are hurting inside that's when you're complete that's when you've overcome the world the world just doesn't the world doesn't have to have any impact on your joy, on your peace, on your happiness. Now, I'm not saying that that everything is easy. No. What I'm saying is you don't have to be affected and under its control. Christ offers all of us the same thing. If you are willing to lay down your life, you will be raised with him into new life. If you are willing to be the servant of all now, you will become an overcomer. And that's the promise that he extends to you. He extends to all of us right now. We're going to have our elders come up front, and we're going to offer you, if you want, I mean, listen, for those of you that aren't, aren't normally here, we don't, it's not a big procession. Like, like you, you, if, you, if you come down and have someone pray with you, no one here is paying a hill of beans of attention. They're not. And if they are, they should be up here with you, the judgmental people that they are, thinking that they don't have problems. They're just hiding them. We all got problems. We're all facing things. We all need each other. But if in this moment, if you hear the voice of God calling to you to step up, to overcome, to grab a hold of the victory that comes through defeat, stop fighting God today and become an overcomer. Let's stand. If we can help you in any way, if we can pray for you in any way, come forward while our elders are up here. We're going to sing this song of invitation together.